Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Football Statistics website, and I'm joined again by Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football and Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic to discuss 2023, uh, a year in international football. It's not going to be pleasant, and none of us are particularly looking forward to it, but uh, let's, uh, let's just get through it together. Lads, it's good to talk to you again. Happy Christmas. Many happy returns, Joe and Phil. Hope yeah, you're all keeping well. Giving them the hard sell early there, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Kick off. Let's uh let's just dive in so with the first game of the year, a friendly against Latvia. So if you catch your minds back twelve months this time last year when we did the twenty twenty two review, the considered opinion of myself, Mark and Phil would be that was that Stephen Kenny wouldn't be Ireland manager when we did the 2023 review. I think Phil gave him five games to impress, uh, and after that, he would be uh, mutually consented. The year ended in a disappointing fashion uh, after losing to Scotland in September, uh, needing a late winner at home against Armenia after being 2-0 up, losing again to Norway, and then winning in Malta in a game that is probably only ever going to be remembered for taking place on the same day that the 2022 World Cup kicked off. So the year in international football opened in March. While the other teams in Group B had their first fixtures, uh, we were lining up at home in a warm-up against Latvia. And for the first 20 minutes, it all looked good. Uh, two early goals from uh, Stephen Kenny favourite Callum O'Dowda and Evan Ferguson's first international goal and his third cap made it look like it was going to be an easy ride for the boys in green, but almost stereotypically under Stephen Kenny, two goals were conceded before half time, both from outside the area, and it meant that being in a position of authority, two goals up, uh, we went in at half time, two all, and uh, it was a Giorgio Bene goal midway through the second half that won the fixture. Look, Mark, when we're looking back at the the year, what were the signifiers from this game? Do you think that led to uh, Stephen Kenny's uh, contract not being renewed. Look, guys, you know, we kind of talked this time last year, as you said, Joe, and uh, New Year, we thought optimism would be there. I suppose certainly for the first 20 minutes, we could see the capability in terms of the emergence of Evan Ferguson. Good goal from him on 17 minutes. But again, it's that Achilles heel, wasn't it? We weren't able to really um, put the foot on the throat of Lafayette here. We kind of get them platform after the Evan Ferguson goal. Thought we were a bit passive, uh, particularly in transition. I think we were in serious trouble here against Lafayette. And uh, fairness to Lafayette, they did their homework. You know, so many efforts now from outside the box. It's kind of countless the amount of times we've mentioned it here, Joe. But I think our Achilles heel has been that kind of lack of concentration, those unforced errors defensively. And really, it, it, it kind of manifests itself again. You think after one or two times doing this that there would be lessons learned, but leadership in defence maybe was a question mark here. Again, I suppose Obene was probably one of the bright sparks of the year. I suppose as we kind of go down through the qualification campaign, he was probably one of the bright lights and, you know, came in with a great goal in 65 minutes. But I suppose the telltale signs were always there, weren't they, from the Nations League. Trying to head into this kind of 
opening game against France with some confidence, but I suppose it did raise more questions than answers here, uh, Joe, and particularly the fact that the selection was very tried and trusted, wasn't it? I mean, Stephen Kenny did come out in the press conference to basically say, look, this was a dry run for the French game. So, you know, I think the media would have had a had a proverbial field day after it. So, I mean, 3-2 win, but I suppose, you know, left more concerns for everyone. Phil, how do you feel in terms of that? Yeah, I agree with all that. It was a funny funny start of the year because on the run-up to the game, obviously the tickets were sold. Me and Joe were talking about it off-air because I drove up to the Latvia game, which was four of us. It was noticeable that, like, that there was, you know, there was nobody at the game. Like, there was nobody within 30 seats of us, two other lads, that was it. So I think interest had waned from the casual fan already. You know, like, that was one thing that Kenny had brought back. He had brought back so many people who had lost interest in the football team because it was boring. But I think at the start of the year, we saw he lost a lot of them as well due to results previously. I think the game itself was just a, it was, you know, a microcosm of Kenny's tenure as a whole. So much of what we saw in that game, we saw through his whole campaign, the positive start, conceding from outside the box, centre-backs running into each other, not clearing balls, and then getting a goal at the end. But I remember that game was marketed really heavily on Evan Ferguson playing, and that's why a lot of people turned up. I know he got his goal, and they did play well in patches, but I think, as you said, Joe, like that game was basically... It was a dry run for France, and like it couldn't have really gone any worse, even though they won. Throwing away a two-goal lead to Latvia in the manner they did, everyone kind of went off more of the same. And it wasn't that long since we'd thrown away a 2 0 lead against Armenia in, in September. It wasn't a great preparation for Mbappe and co. Just you mentioned the attendance there. Officially, there was 41,000 at the Latvia friendly. I don't think it was actually 41,000 in the stadium, but that's what it's given as. And then it wasn't, it was, near, it wasn't near it. Yeah. And then the attendance against France was 50,000. So it means that, you know, since the, the two games were sold as a package, 10,000 people decided not to go to the Latvia game. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It happened at the start of the year and it also happened at the end of the year. Yeah, you know the same the same thing happened at the end of the year. But just another thing, I was just looking through the lineups and the highlights earlier. Another thing about that game, probably the only thing besides the first Latvia goal, which was unbelievable. What really stuck out that game was how bad Matt Darty was. He was absolutely brutal, and then he actually turned it around and he was really good against France. But that was it was clearly down to the fact that he hadn't kicked a ball in in three months. But if we were to go right back to the start of the year, like, remember all the fanboying over his move to Atletico? Yeah. Like, everybody got so excited. Oh, he's moving to Atletico. When, like, most of us really knew, like, he's not going to kick a ball. And he didn't kick a ball. So, like, that was nearly the end of his career at that stage. Because, like, at the top, top level, like, taking that move, Spurs releasing him and... That, but like, yeah, that was kind of the only other thing that really stood out for me with that Lafayette game, just how, how bad Matt Doherty was, how off the pace he was. There was a stat from his time at Atletico Madrid as well that he actually played more minutes for Spurs in the FA Cup than he did for Atletico Madrid in total before moving back to England and back to, to Wolves. Well, I think he's only played 390 minutes this year to date, but there's always optimism when a big team comes to town. 
against the Republic of Ireland, does no matter how bad things are going or what the last result was, there's always just an inkling the team could turn up and nick something. And I suppose it was nearly like that, wasn't it? A little. People were saying were France really that good, and I know, I, yeah, yeah, they are actually Sorry. that good. They're 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 quite good, and you know they had the Dutch at uh, home, and we'll draw them away. Yeah, they had thumped the Netherlands four 0 in the group opener. People expected France to rock up and just run away with the game. I was kind of thinking that France, you know, they uh, that Dutch game was a bit of an outlier for them. They tend not to score too many goals in a game. It's usually a case of they go two 0 up and then they keep the ball for the remaining seventy or so minutes. I did see a lot of that on Twitter at the time from certain fan accounts that were like, yeah, maybe France aren't that good. And I was like, geez, looking back, they scored three, you know, Mbappe scored a hat-trick against Argentina in the World Cup final. It was only like two or three games ago for them. And people were saying, "Mm, are they that good? Maybe not. We were hoping maybe that they would suffer a bit of a hangover from from the loss, but I think they put that myth to bed very quickly with their, as I said, their opening win against the Dutch. To be fair to Ireland that night against France, we did play well. Uh, we were restricting their chances. We went in nil-nil at half time. The team were working hard for each other. I thought Ferguson was a bit isolated up front um, and possibly because uh, Knight and Ogbeni, uh, who were playing behind him, were being sucked back into midfield uh, to help out. Ogbeni in particular was giving Hernandez a horrific time down uh, our right-hand side. But we conceded, you know, the stereotypical goal that we can that we conceded under Stephen Kenny from distance when uh, Pavard sees on a loose ball to score, you know, from uh, outside the area, and kind of did suck the atmosphere uh, out of the stadium that night. It was very much a case of the fans thinking that we haven't looked like scoring. France don't really concede until right at the very end when it took. Uh, a world-class save from Mignan from a corner uh, when Nathan Collins, with an absolutely textbook header, did absolutely everything right except score. I was behind the goal that night and there was a second where everyone thought that it actually had been a goal. That save was that good and it came so late into the, the movement that didn't register until we realised that the ball had, had gone out of play. And because it just looked so much like it was a certain goal. But the results, one at home to France, it's not bad. I mean, it was better than I think everyone had expected after the game against Latvia. The fact that we were so close to coming away with a, with a, a point kind of gave people hope for the the upcoming fixtures in the summer. Um, but Mark, like, what are your memories of uh, our first game in Group B? To be fair, you've captured beautifully there, Joe and Phil. I mean, our defensive shape was on point. Uh, look, Mbappe, I think, was a peripheral figure. Um, kept fairly organised. and We had a bit of a genuine attacking threat on the flank. I mean, I think Obene, as kind of said at the start of the podcast, you know, really did, was a prominent torn in Hernandez's side. So, look, again, the Stephen Kenny era defined by the goal after halftime, immediately after halftime. And, I mean, playing in the wrong areas... You know, the, the ethos of Stephen Kenny passing from the back, but I mean, as a midfielder, that erroneous pass, eh, you know, across. I mean, Pavard has an awful lot to do, but I mean, hits it superbly well. And I, I think, you know, managers sometimes are a little bit jinxed, and I mean, 
Pavard hits it, and it, it's going out to the top corner here. So, But, I mean, in fairness to Republic of Ireland, I think it did stifle us for 15, 20 minutes afterwards. France did have an opportunity or two to kind of maybe extend the lead. But I felt, Joe, that the crowd, like I was watching it at home here in Galway, but to be fair, the crowd got into it with about 15, 20 minutes to go, and you could feel that the, the change in atmosphere particularly. And, I mean, there was, you know, an awful lot of aerial threat. I mean, the Nathan Collins chance, but... It's, again, it's that footnote of the Stephen Kenny. You know, the big team coming into town. I mean, you could describe that about Belgium. You can describe that about Portugal, Serbia. There's been those sort of performances which have been very kind of, you know, optimistic team working for each other. The results on the night, I think they were very unfortunate to get to 1-0. But as we've probably seen coming into the summer, I think that's where it was all over for Stephen Kenny, unfortunately, with that Greece game. But, I mean, for opening nights, I mean... France, big team coming to town. I, I think the the performance was pretty pretty decent considering the circumstances. This game, by the Greece away game, I think this is the most interesting game of the year by a mile because it was a game where Stephen Kenny kind of threw out some of his major ideas and said, "Okay, that we're going to slightly change things here because this is." one of the top three teams in the world. We we have to change. So we saw against Latvia that the few days previous that like we given up so much space in the centre and we conceded these two goals. And like like I was at the game, I remember I've never seen Griezmann as quiet Griezmann was so quiet, he was so frustrated during that game because we closed the space down in the centre so well and they were trying to work the ball wide and they really weren't getting any joy. Like, the, Ireland, like, defended really well. Like, they hustled and harried really well. And they played probably the way you should when you're not a good team against the bigger teams. You try and keep it to a one-score or a no-score game until 15, 20 minutes to go. And then you start to try and have a go. And that's that's what we did. And then, like, as Mark said, the crowd got behind them for 20 minutes to go. They started creating the odd half chance, getting up, and then they had that big chance at the end. Like the atmosphere was unbelievable at that game. Stephen Kenny, I think he like he he got nearly everything right on the day, and we were unlucky to lose the game. I wouldn't say we weren't unlucky to to not win it. We were unlucky to lose it because it did take Pavar coming from deep and into that space, you know, and hitting an, an absolute amazing an amazing shot, um, to win it. But I think Kenny would have looked at that game at the end of his tenure and think, if I had played a few more games that way, I would have got some bigger results. Because we had that, you know, we have that threat from set pieces and backs to the wall against a better team. If we sit back and we contain the space like we did against France, we probably would have got something off a few few of the better teams. But instead, we just went back and we reverted to, okay, you know, we're going to go and try to play football against them. And like, it didn't work out like so. It's one of the more interesting games, I think, because it showed the potential of, it showed what we should be doing or what Kenny should have been doing for a few of the games that he didn't. And like, he eventually, like eventually, as we saw, he, like, you know, he didn't get his contract renewed because you could say not good enough. You could say too stubborn. Like we see it from managers all the time. Like Bielsa was one at Leeds. I'm not changing. This is the way we do it. Go and get thumped every week. Eventually you're going to lose your job. Even though there's a different way to, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And that was the game that showed it. Like, and it was, the atmosphere was unbelievable, but it was just, um, it's a funny one because not to go on about it too long, but 
I heard after like, oh, if that goal only went in against France, I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like. You know, what would have happened? We still, it's the qualifying wouldn't have changed. We would have had one extra point. That would have been it. I, I don't think anything would have changed. It wasn't like that. If that goal went in at the end, it was going to set us off on a totally different path for qualifying, and we were going to like beat the Dutch or beat Greece twice or whatever. I still think if that goal went in, it would have been the exact same throughout the qualifying campaign. Just looking at the France goal again, no, I don't want to, but probably should. You know, okay. playing... We can see bangers. It's, it's... Yeah. We can see uh... great goals. They're great to watch. <laughs> you know, we've, we had that great line at the beginning of the year. We're tired of holding our hands up. Check out that Latvia goal, the first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, God, yeah. Uh, the goal comes from an intercepted pass from Colin to Jason Knight in front of the box. I could, you could see what Cullen was trying to do. He was trying to play the ball out from the back. But when you're when you're up against a team like France and they were playing a very high press at the time, there was seven players, including Pavard, around the Ireland box at the time. You know, there's a time... I look and I, I don't like long balls, but there's a time just to clear lines... Give everyone a chance to catch their breath, get re get reset, and unfortunately, he made the wrong choice in trying to do the right thing. If you know what I mean, we have said that under previous managers, we want to see the team play a better brand of football, and he was trying to do that with that pass, but it meant that we conceded. We'll discuss Stephen Kenny's reign uh, as a whole in in future episodes, but um, I think this is an example of him being stuck too rigidly to his philosophy on football. And maybe his inability to adapt. Despite the result, I think the overall impression of the fans after the France game was that we had played well, we could have got a result, and that we'd bear the fruits of that performance in the next qualifier against Greece in June. A year ago, in the build-up to the Armenia game, Stephen Kenny had complained that there was too long of a gap between the end of the championship season in England, where a lot of the Ireland players do play and uh, that qualifier in Yerevan in June. So to to deal with, again, uh, a long gap between the end of the season this year and uh, that game in, in Athens, uh, the team uh, set up camp in Turkey to prepare for the, the qualifier. And uh, the, in the build-up to it, all we were hearing was that the facilities were perfect, exactly what the team needed. They would be as well prepared as any team had been for a qualifier. And we just didn't see it at all against Greece. Poya said after the game that it took them about 10 minutes to figure us out. They made some minor adjustments and took the lead with a, an early penalty. Conceded after 15 minutes for a handball. I mean, I said that Callum Adouda, uh was a, a favourite of the manager and he started again on the left. But in our review of the game at the time, I said that the problem was that it was Odauda and uh, Lenehan. Darroche dropped to the bench to replace by Lenehan. But I felt that Lenehan, he's still quite inexperienced at senior level. And he's not really a left-sided central defender anyway. If you look at some of the, the heat maps from who scored of the game, you can see that he'd actually drifted into the middle quite a bit. It just meant that that combination on our, the left side of our defence, Lenehan and Odauda, you know, left us quite exposed, and both goals came from that side of the uh, of defence. After conceding, look, we did manage to 
to equalise through Nathan Collins. Uh, he's obviously been identified as a target man from set pieces after the France game um, and had stayed up for a corner and uh, received a pass from uh, Evan Ferguson, uh, which he finished uh, finished well. Uh, going in one all at half time, it, we we still didn't really look like uh, taking a hold of the game at any point. And you know, Greece's second goal, the winner, you know, it, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, like Phil, that was probably the most disappointing performance of the year, honestly. For me. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I think we said after it, like, teams that aren't very good, like, I remember I got a lot of shit because I thought we should be winning against Greece away. Because Greece aren't a good team. And everyone was like, no, what are you saying? We can't be winning against Greece away. We shouldn't be expected to. But realistically, if we want to have any aspirations of even challenging for qualifying, we had to be beating them away. We couldn't even come within an arse's roar of them. Teams that aren't very good always struggle to kill games off and will always let you back in for certain periods. And Greece did that against us. Like They were fairly dominant in the first half, but they still let us back into the game. And then you get this opportunity where it's, you're going in at halftime and you have 15 minutes and you... You know, you need to bring a plan B into place, so you need to figure out tactically where you're getting outplayed in the pitch. And Kenny just fumbles the ball big time. Gus Poye goes in, figures it out within 30 seconds, and has them winning again shortly after. And we didn't lay a glove on them for the rest of the game. And I think that was that was when alarm bells started ringing for even the most devout Kenny followers who, like, really, like, we all wanted Kenny, you know, say, it, say it every podcast, we all wanted them to do well. But, like, the people who were like, no, you know, you could, there was no talking to them. This game started to turn their heads. And I think the other thing coupled with this game that really kind of basically just undermined his position totally was for the last two odd years before this game, before this, this actual set of international fixtures, all we'd heard about was injuries, COVID, not getting enough time with the players, valid excuses here and there, but like excuses all the time. So Kenny finally gets the players for as long as he needs in this warm weather camp in Turkey. And what are they doing? Is this when the players finally realised, okay, this fella's never going to do anything with us because he'd all the time to finally drill in everything he needed to. They were working on a game plan for whatever, seven, eight, nine days, and they turn up with that performance. So I think that was the final nail in the coffin for me and for a lot of people. And I think it was the tactical preparation and even in-game preparation in terms of being able to adjust it. Like Greece set their stall out in the Nations League prior to this campaign, guys. I mean... I remember watching Northern Ireland against Greece and I distinctly remember the likes of Baldock and Simicas basically raiding down a flank. An awful lot of the best things that Greece done in that Nations League campaign was through their flank play. But um, obviously uh, the Republic of Ireland management had never seen that because I did feel sorry for Colm O'Dowd and certainly for Daryl and like to be thrown in in such a critical ju- juncture of the campaign. I mean, it was... Shit or bust, let's be per- perfectly honest about it. We need to get something out of that game in Athens. And when we talk about the Turkey preparation particularly, it has to be the collective. 
not just Stephen Kenny, but the rest of the backroom staff, what was the preparation here? Because it looked to me, and I kind of said it at the time, it looked to me as if they were overtrained, that they literally peaked during this training camp in Turkey and left their performance on that training paddock because it was a pale shadow of what was expected here of the team. And I think this, to me, that was the end. I think, to be perfectly honest, we had a Gibraltar home game. I mean, I think other football associations would have been a bit more clinical after that. I mean, effectively, we were kind of out of the campaign and it wasn't for want of trying or effort here but look Greece 2-1 and as you say yourself Phil they are a side that give you opportunities and we were just unable to convert here in our final third play in Athens as well apart from a few kind of crosses and a corner kick you know it was just it was pretty abysmal stuff so I think it was more to do with the Turkish warm weather training and what went on there that really, I think, stuck out for me. And particularly when it was one-all as well, guys. When at half I was thinking back to Hampden Park in that Nations League game with Scotland and Republic of Ireland. And you know the way Steve Clark made adjustments at half-time and turned the game around. And I'm thinking, will Stephen Kenny do similar here? Will he kind of make things a little bit more, you know, compact in midfield, particularly in the flanks? No, no, no lessons learned here. So for me, he was he was gone at the end of that game. The thing about that that camp is... And it's a trade of Irish players, and it's a good one, that you will never hear, Barry King, you will never hear an Irish player come out and say a bad word about their manager, when he's their manager and after. You know, you never hear anyone say anything about Mick McCarthy. You know, everyone loved Brian Kerr, even though, you know, Robbie Keane had a bit of it to do with them. They just don't do it. But you have to speculate that the players just didn't buy into it. And... Obviously, everything it doesn't boil down to the manager. The players are the ones who go out on the pitch. But, like, all the signs are there after that camp that the players simply didn't buy into whatever Stephen Kenny and his backroom team were trying to instill in them. The message just wasn't going into them, or they weren't interested, or it wasn't working. And I think because they'll never say anything, you can only speculate, but it's clear as day they weren't. It was either too confusing or it was too simplistic or they just were thinking, this guy's not for us. But they they didn't perform for him. It, was there an Irish performance in the last year where you could say, oh, that player, like, absolutely, just, like, you know, you hear this one died on the pitch. Is there any game, I'm trying to think, is there any game where you just saw someone, like, absolutely run the bollocks off themselves, chasing the ball, just like, for the manager. And there's not really any standout moments like. But that camp coupled with that result was, as you said, Mark, the end. Because that was that was us finding out and that Stephen Kenny isn't up to the job and Stephen Kenny finding out he's not up to the job. It dis- like disappointing, especially coming off the back of what was a, a decent performance against France as well for your qualif- qualification campaign whatever sim chances there were because obviously the two teams above us were very good but for them to be torpedoed after two games like that again that was enough for everyone I think Just on your point there Phil that we, we should have been beating Greece Greece are the kind of teams that we should beat but I don't know if we should have beaten them away. Greece have actually a really good record at home over the last few years. Before that game against Ireland, they'd only last once uh, since COVID, really, and uh, that was against Spain. Okay, but if you're coming out at the end of the previous qualifying campaign and saying, oh no, 
it's not that campaign, it's the next campaign. This is the campaign, we're going to qualify. If you're talking the talk and saying that, and then when the draw is done, you're saying, we have a chance of of maybe, you know, maybe we have an outside chance. And then every flute on Twitter is saying, oh, the Dutch aren't great, are they? Jeez, we could take a bit off the Dutch. But then in the same breath, oh, you couldn't be beating Greece. What are you on about? It doesn't work like that. You can't say you're going to beat the Dutch or maybe take a few points off them and then not go and beat the fourth seeded team. I don't care how good the fourth seeded team are. You should be if if you're talking the talk like that, you should be expected to take four points off them at least to have any sniff of qualifying. And this is where the the messages were mixed. This is where people were falling down because you can't have it both ways. If you're talking about qualifying or having an and getting in with a small chance of qualifying, you have to be talking about beating. The teams below you. Yeah, I think this year as well was the first, or, yeah, and it might have been around the time of that Greece game where people started to question Stephen Kenny moving the goalposts, you know, because when he took over, it was, we're going to look to win the playoff. And then it was, well, actually, we're going to try and build through the Nations League and then we'll be ready for the, the next set of qualifiers. And then after the qualifiers for the, the World Cup didn't go well, it was, well, it's actually the Nations League that we're looking to do well in. And then, uh, you know, we lose our opening two games against Armenia and Lithuania. And it's a case of, well, now we're actually looking to do well in the qualifiers or in the European Championship qualifiers next year. And then, you know, they we, they come around again. We lose our opening two games again against France and Greece. And uh, I think it was Damien Daly, it might have been Richie Sadler, that said that, you know, you can't keep building for the future. Eventually, you have to deliver. The future... The future is now, basically. And that Greece game, like you say, it was the first time where he didn't have any excuses for the performance. Like, the the preparations were, were perfect, we were told all along. Even the weather was a little bit in our favour. It wasn't as hot as it was expected to be in Athens that night. But we just didn't deliver it at all. Was it that game where he said, you know, he didn't see his personality in the team for the first time? Kind of gone. I, I don't think he said it after the game, but it was maybe when it was been when it was been reviewed. Uh, that quote came out that he didn't see his personality in the team that night, and you're kind of gone. That's not the kind of thing you should be let into the public domain because it shows that you know the coaching that you're doing isn't being uh, reflected in the performance. His quotes here: "I made the decision right or wrong." that we will build this squad to be a really, really competitive team to qualify for Germany 2024. Like he said that at the end of 2022. And we will have to do something extraordinary to finish in the top two. To then turn around and say, oh, we shouldn't be expected to take Antonov Greece away. Or, it's just it's utter nonsense. Like, And the amount of people who got on to me in the set and said, oh, how could you expect us to beat Greece away? And then, you know, you scroll down through a few of the tweets and they're like, uh, five reasons we can beat the Dutch. Sorry, does not compute. Yeah, and on the back of that performance, we returned back to Aviva Stadium for what is one, what is supposed to be one of the great gimmies of international football, Gibraltar at home. But we struggled quite a bit in that first half against Gibraltar, and they were coming off the back of a three 0 loss against France, where which sounds impressive until you realise that it was a penalty. The second goal was a penalty from Mbappe and it was an own goal at the end of the game that sealed their fate. Um, and in that first half in Aviva Stadium, they were organised and compact at the back. They were denying us clear-cut chances and 
you know, going in nil all at home against uh, Gibraltar for only the second time in their history in a competitive game is bad enough. Then you read that the the only other time that that's happened was also against the Republic of Ireland. That's when you realise how bad things really are. And it was the introduction of Mikey Johnston at halftime that really turned that game around because suddenly there was a player in midfield who was driving forward with the ball at his feet against the opposition defence. Whereas before that, we were trying to play the game the way Stephen Kenny wanted the game to be played, i.e. building from the back through midfield and releasing the strikers. But Gibraltar, they don't allow you to do that. They don't give you space. They're happy to let you have the ball in the first two thirds of the pitch. And then, you know, they just pile bodies in the way, really. Um, and it's up to you to break them down. There was one point in the second half, I remember, where uh, Gibraltar, one of their rare forays into the Irish half, had actually gotten a corner. And Gavin Bazunu claimed the ball, but he held on to it and then rolled it out to possibly John Egan, one of the, or maybe Colin, and he had it kept, he had his foot in the ball. And I, I realised that they were actually waiting for the rest of the Ireland team to get into their positions before they could, you know, continue or playing the playing the pattern that had been worked on in training. Whereas, but this meant that Gibraltar had time to get back into their own half and organise. Whereas, if we had broken with pace, even if it meant Colin or Egan or O'Shea running the length of the pitch, we would have put ourselves in a much better position uh, to create a chance. All three goals were scored in the second half, and the winner was in injury time. I mean, Gibraltar are one of those teams, much like the Faroes or San Marino, where I don't actually think you can win the game. If you win three 0 people say, "So what?" It was, you know, they're the minnows. And even if you, you know, if you draw or God forbid lose, then you're just uh, it'll just be another nail in the in the coffin of your of the team. Uh, Phil, you were at the game uh, with me. Uh, what were you thinking at halftime when it was still nil-nil and then at full-time? I wasn't surprised at half. I don't think we were surprised at halftime, were we? I don't think we were. I think it was, well, of course this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was more like that. But, and then at full-time, I think, I think we were happy to have seen a few goals and we were happy it was over. But, like, it's one of those ones, like, you said it at the time of the game as well, coming up to it, and you've always said it when we played the likes of Gibraltar, like you can't win these games. You know, you always have the opportunity to take the focus off yourself as a manager. Like, I remember thinking, why isn't Mikey Johnson just starting? He's clearly a tricky player, like Gibraltar are clearly technically not very good. So just play him and let him just run them ragged and maybe he'll get a goal or two. That will be the talk of the game instead of Ireland's struggle to break them down or something. It's just, it's just so weird that he just didn't... You don't change for Gibraltar as you don't change for France. Like he, You do change for these teams. You have to. I'm genuinely struggling to think, to think of what my feelings were at full time. I honestly can't. Other podcasts will give you a big spiel about, oh, I remember this, I remember that. I genuinely can't remember. Probably just happy we got the win, I'd say. And I was there and I can't remember... You know the way we were kind of describing in terms of Greece and the preparation, and but like you have to really go with trust. But teams like Gibraltar, we, we were so passive. Uh, I think maybe this is kind of a combination now of maybe players losing their kind of motivation on the game plan. But I don't know about you guys, but 
in transition, particularly in our midfield play. I mean, it was all good up until midfield, but no real kind of ambitious kind of, you know, passes into the Fergusons. Literally, our flank play was fairly limited. Final third distribution was pretty poor. But again, you have to kind of say that Stephen Kenning and management did take a risk and <laughs> risk against Gibraltar, hey, you know, with Mikey Johnson coming on. I think that was the key kind of catalyst, really. But again, it shouldn't have taken 45 minutes for the penny to drop with the backroom management here, along with Stephen Kenny. And I'm very conscious of not labelling everything here at Stephen Kenny's door. I think backroom staff-wise left enough lot to be desired in this calendar year. And I think to be perfectly fair, Gibraltar coming off that French game, they would have been leggy, particularly on the flanks. And really, that should have been our mantra here. Get early tempo, get an early goal here. But... Look, we got the win, 3-0. Like, Ferguson gets a goal, Adamita as well, who would have been one of the favourites for Stephen Kenny, gets a goal in a nice second minute. But to, to be perfectly fair, it was a very disjointed performance. But you could also see here, guys, in terms of our midfield play, there was a lack of conviction for me in terms of how we were executing the game plan here. And I think it probably goes back to Phil's point in terms of the training sessions in Turkey, you know, there was probably a hangover from that as well. And I think you could see certain players now kind of not really fully committing to the game plan and being more cautious, more conservative in their game plan. When you think about when Anthony Barry was there, there was a bit of ambition in terms of our central midfield area to really kind of look up and identify space forward. Now it was just very much take the easy option, pass back, pass back, you know, so... I think, uh, you know, 3-0. But I think the damage had been done here, guys. I think the media and even, like, your reaction immediately after the game, guys, was very much very much conciliatory. It's like, look, damage is done here. You know, we got the win and move on. But, I mean, <laughs> look, look at the fixture list that was coming up straight away. You know, travelling to Paris to play France and then having the Dutch come to town on the 10th of September. Like, And it's another case of probably just overthinking, being too rigid tactically and overthinking everything. Like, it should have been a Martin O'Neill-style team talk, lads. It's Gibraltar. Go and score goals. You know, it's Spurs. Just go and batter them. You don't need much tactical advice to go and play against Gibraltar. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. This podcast better end on a happy note. Yeah, it has to end on a positive note. (laughs) But I mean, the only positive is we got a clean sheet against Gibraltar, hey? <laughs> like yeah. two two clean sheets of the year came from Gibraltar, but I mean to be perfectly fair, guys, you know. You know, it, it was then kind of looking ahead into September and I think we're really kind of in, you know, win win situation here in terms of the qualification campaign, you know, hopefully we were hoping really that the players would kind of throw the shackles off a little bit and really kind of express themselves. But I mean that's at September 7th uh, game against France. And look, France at home, world class, you know, they toyed with us for long periods, like, to be fair. And the uh, game was never in doubt. But I suppose, uh, Joe, what was your feelings on that Paris game? Well, in the build-up to the game, and possibly for the three months between the double header against Greece and Gibraltar until that game in Paris in September... You know, there was a lot of speculation about Stephen Kenny's role. And I kind of thought that if he gets to these two games, he'll probably make it to the end of the year because no one expects him to get anything against either France or the Dutch. And if he does, well, that's a bonus. And if he doesn't, well, expectations achieved. 
And look, France are just a, a top quality team uh, from all the way from back to front, uh, from goalkeeper to striker. The performance, I think, is the kind of performance that uh, I've expected from France over the last few years. Dominant possession, creating most of the chances, maybe only scoring one or, t- or two of them, but dominating the rest of the game to the point where it doesn't really matter. There was one more world-class save, uh, world-class reaction save from Magnin to deny uh, Ogbené at 2-0. But other than that, we didn't really threaten the French goal. You know, we conceded, again, from distance. At this point, conceding from distance was gone beyond an anomaly. It was just how we concede goals. And it feels like the whole way through Stephen Kenny's time in charge we never did anything about it. I mean, for something that is so obvious to people, casual watchers of the game, even, never mind hardcore fans, or why was that never addressed throughout Stephen Kenny's reign, right up until the final game, which we'll, we'll get to later. If he hadn't lost his job after the Greece game, I don't think that result against France in Paris was going to cost him his position. I think he was dead man walking, really, at that stage, wasn't he, guys? I mean... I think the Greece game for us was kind of the, I broke the camel's back really. And I mean, these games here, FAI, given their financial predicament, they were never going to pull the trigger on them, were they? Uh, unfortunately, we're just going to leave them hanging here until right to the very end. But yeah, I don't know. So what do you think? Financials got him the job. Financials kept him in the job for long enough. Yeah, that was basically it. Yeah, like the France game again. I can't remember a lot of it. I had to read up on it earlier today. I don't think the expectations are great going into it. I think all eyes were on the, the Dutch game at home, but, and I suppose it all came out later then. Oh, I always, I didn't want to play three at the back. And then why did you? Why didn't you play four and play two old midfielders if we're just coughing up space left, right and centre, mainly centre? He's the manager. He's the coach. Why was he so rigid to something he didn't want to do? This is the, the question that keeps coming back to me. Did he not realise the book stops with him? Is that a case of the job's too big for me? You know, was he looking to Keith Andrews and the other backroom staff? You know, Anthony Barry brought in the 3-4, three, the 3 at the back. Was he like, oh, I better not change because he's right, you know? These were the questions that were coming up the whole time during this qualifying campaign. And that France game was just another example of it. Following the result in, in Paris... We came back to Aviva Stadium for a game that some people felt we might have been able to take something from. The Dutch team that arrived in Dublin did not have the same vintage as some of the classic Dutch teams of yesteryear. The results were perhaps a little erratic and the game opened with the absolute ideal start. Uh, An early penalty conceded from a corner and converted by Adamita meant that we were leading... um, we were leading with less than five minutes on the clock, but less than 20 minutes later, a through ball to Dumfries resulted in a, a penalty conceded by Gavin Bazunu and then converted by Gakpo. You know, and the teams went in level at half time, but again, despite having scored early, it didn't really look like creating another clear cut chance for the rest of the game. And no one was really surprised when the Dutch scored their second uh, in the second half. Perhaps the only real the surprise of it was that was the actual goal scorer. Uh, Veghorst hadn't impressed during his loan spell with Manchester United, but managed to convert a close-range chance after being set up by Dumfries, 
who'd won the penalty in the first half. And it just felt, maybe not even after the second goal, maybe even after the first, maybe after the first goal, that the belief in the stadium that we would get something out of it was just gone. And it was very much waiting for the inevitable. Yeah, it was a uh, deflated Aviva Stadium that night. The two things that stood out for that game was um, was Vegor's goal, but I remember Benny gave uh, Van Dijk an awful going over that game. He gave him serious problems. Was this the game as well where Stephen Kenny came out and said, now we've wingers? Or was that further along? Even though he like had dropped Benny for a good few games last year. Yeah, it might have been around that time he said that. We're coming into September, aren't we? So there's a few guys now becoming eligible all of a sudden and this, you know, winger mantra was coming, that narrative was coming on the media. So I think you're bang on there. I think it was immediately after the French game. Even though he chose to drop Benny for a good portion of the year before, like he didn't play a lot of games. So that was that was kind of the real standout. Yeah, like the Dutch, the Dutch weren't great either. Like Benny did give Van Dijk a, a hard time of it, and it was the same old story, really, wasn't it? Like you know, Weghorst came on half time, bang goal, figured out nothing we could do. It sounds like we're broken records at this stage, doesn't it? There's a trend emerging, isn't there? Really? There is. Like, it's, it's like, and do, do you know what? If we went back and listened to the 2022, I guarantee you we'd be saying a lot of the same stuff for for the previous games. There was just clear and obvious errors and deficiencies that just weren't, they were never corrected. That was the thing. They were never corrected. And if if it was easy for us to see it, it's easy for others to see it, like Coleman or uh, future Ireland manager Gus Poy or whoever. I'd like to stress them at this point that as we record it, Ireland manager is not being confirmed. So <laughs> <laughs> whether or not whether or not Gus Poy actually takes the job remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, and and so uh, we moved into the uh, the final home qualifier uh, of the campaign against Greece. Uh, there was an, an element of revenge perhaps in the build up to it that's like Phil said this is a team that we should be beating if we want to finish in the top three in the group we needed to get a result against Greece but similar to the to the game in June the team just didn't show up Poya said after the first game that it took them uh, about 10 minutes to figure us out and I think in this game it took them about 15 minutes for them to figure us out and then we conceded uh, just before the 20th minute with uh, a cross from the left and a, a bullet header from their from the big man up front, Gia Kumakis. And again, like Phil said, if you've listened to if you listen back to some of our episodes, you know, I use the, the phrase from Tyson, everyone's got a, a plan to get punched in the face. And we got punched in the face really early against Greece. And that was it. And then we never looked like scoring and then it was you know we were pushing forward looking for an equaliser at the end of the first half when Greece broke put the ball across the penalty area or it was brought back and then finished off by Masaurus. Um and we go in at 2-0 down the crowd are dead we know we're not going to get anything out of this you know the manager's job is on the line you're kind of hoping that he's learned something at this stage from international football that he's going to change something and his change was bringing on Ryan Manning. 
and it didn't really work. Don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Ryan Manning. I think he's a good player, but he's not the player that was going to change that game. I don't know if there was anyone on the bench, really, that day that could have, but it, it just felt like it was just everyone knew it was over. Not even, yeah, at halftime in that game, everyone knew it was over. I think even the manager. The players must have known. This was the worst game because they didn't even score a good goal against us. And as you said, it was so flat. The heads were gone. The heads were down. And this is the game he took Collins off. Yeah. Very pointedly, you're coming off. A little bit, you know, scapegoating without scapegoating, I'd say. It was funny as well, because Poirier called a shot before the game, didn't he? He said, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be sound, and we're going to win. So it was just, that was the end. And do remember, this was the pre-game when Keith Andrews came out with his uh, accusations of uh, some spying uh, accusations. You know, poor Gary Dicker got uh, involved in it. Good friend of uh, Gus Poirier from his Brightland Hove Albion days. Which were Um, unfounded at the end, weren't they? Completely. Now, you have to then ask the question here in terms of a press conference of that nature. Have the heads gone already? Answer (laughs) for me is emphatically yes. To come out with something like that, something that's unfounded. And in fairness, Gus Poyet came out immediately to defence. You can imagine the Greek players basically hearing that after the Greece, you know, home game. There was plenty more motivation for Republic of Ireland here. Let's bear in mind the treatment of some of the Irish fans in Greece to try to get to the ground. I mean, there should have been other motivational factors than having to basically throw something like this to the general media. It was almost like a diversion tactic. For me, that spoke volumes that this backroom staff knew that they were in trouble. Give something to the media here that they can basically devour here for a day or two while we try to kind of piece together a game plan. But again, look at the first goal from G- uh, Giacomacus. I mean, again, it's an overlap on the flank. You know, they did that similarly in Greece back in June. So, I mean, lessons because learned. That, Andrews went on off the ball, didn't he? Basically, he went out as a human shield before the game to oh. take a few strays off from Peyton Kenny. But still, like, I mean, you know, and as you said yourself, Joy, you described it brilliantly in terms of our transitional play this year was nothing short of disgraceful. <laughs> you know, we were a soft touch. We were a soft touch in terms of being vulnerable on the break. You know, an awful lot of mediocre teams, you know, you've called them out to start the podcast. Greece could have had three or four, only for Gavin Bazuno in that opening period. And I mean, they went into another half time, deservedly so. And to be honest, I think there were a few boos in the Viva, but <laughs> you couldn't really hear it on the TV audio. But, I mean, look, I, I think, guys, to be perfectly honest, it's uh, this was up for a long way out. Like, I mean, Greece probably would have felt that this Dublin trip would have been a pretty tricky, tough tie. But given all the things that went on before the game, I think they were a very galvanised unit, really. And to be fair, uh, Gus Poyet needed to deliver a message to the Republic of Ireland, and particularly to the backroom staff and Stephen Kenny. And... Did you deliver it? Scales got his debut. Collins dropped. We started, I remember Smallbone had that shot. And everyone was kind of like, oh, hang on a second here. But then quickly it all just reverted back to type, didn't it? I think as well, something that we haven't really talked about that much. Because we concede to every team nearly by Gibraltar. The way Ferguson has been used, or not used under Kenny as well, is something that was really, just really poor, I suppose. Because here you have this, like, 
near like prodigy nearly that's like when shit's hitting the fan and you've got someone like Evan Ferguson who you know take a half chance out of nothing we've seen it like a lot of his goals just come from just taking the ball down outside the box and just burying it to not use him to his strengths as well when you're up against it and to not change is negligible as well I think because really he you know for these few games he 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 wasn't involved like he didn't really do anything Whatever about losing to Greece at home, not really laying a glove in them, attacking-wise, was the most disappointing. Just how flat we were, Robinson was on, did nothing. You know, it really was just uh, toothless. But I think that showed to me, Philip, as well, just in terms of even Stephen Kenny's indecision in terms of the final third. Who was his go-to guy? I mean, you think at the start of the year he had likes of Callum Robinson... I'm thinking of the game, the Nations League game at home to Scotland. We had Mike Lubbafemi and Troy Parrott's think of play was superb. And then obviously Evan Ferguson comes into the scene, you know, and you're then like, okay, uh, you know, but again, this perception that he was going to do it all, like, I mean, he's only a 19 year old now. I mean, there's that state of flux there in the final third, you know, that big guy up front, whatever. I don't know. There was always an indecision here with the backroom staff in terms of who was their out and out striker here. There's various guys here that have been given some opportunities, but I think not one of them really having the confidence. I know, obviously, Evan Ferguson is a star, will be moving on here, but he needs a little bit more support. Like, So it'd be interesting with the new manager, how he adopts here in terms of Ferguson. Does he go two up top here, or what's his tactics going to be? Because I think, Joe, you kind of showed me the heat map, was it after the Dutch game? And I mean... There was minimal touches for Evan Torgensen inside that Dutch penalty area. And I mean, for a guy of that potential, you know, really did show that we were kind of playing completely in the wrong areas here. It definitely comes back to, it's just this thing, like, I I just won't understand it until Kenny comes out maybe and does a few interviews and explains. Like, I'll never understand, like, he never tried to stop the rot. He just kept going the way he was going. He just didn't change. You know, like, it sounds pure basic, and it sounds like caveman stuff, but you you see teams just going back to basics and just, like, focusing on maybe just keeping a clean sheet and keeping it tight. And if you have a player like Ferguson, like, you, you cannot tell me before that game that if you line those players up 4-5-1, tied at the back, play Ferguson up top by himself and basically just launch balls at him. That would not have a better chance of beating Greece than the way Kenny set up. And there would be no chance then if Greece, you know, scoring goals with overlapping fullbacks because we would be tied at the back. But just this, even to not try some variation of that, but just to keep going the way you're going and not changing, it's just... It was at this stage. It was baffling, to be honest with you. Is he that, you know, set? Does does he genuinely think that this is going to click? Does he genuinely think he's actually going to go out and the the next game it's just going to click and they're going to score two or three goals and it's going to be unbelievable? And then oh my god, look, everyone finally understands. Just another ninety minutes and they're going to understand. He couldn't have thought that. No one thought that. But just the the stubbornness not to change one iota and just say, we're just going to tweak it a bit and play, okay, we've got this fella up front or we've got really good centre-backs. So let's play two centre-backs. Let's play three across the middle, three up top or whatever. 
and play to their strengths for a change and then see what Greece are going to do. Because Greece obviously think we're going to play, keep playing the same way we're playing. But just never to deviate. It's just, it's what got him sacked and it's baffling. And I think it's going to be something he's going to look at in a few years down the line. Maybe when he takes a club job and he realises he has to change more week in, week out, he'll probably, he's going to go, oh, maybe if I did things a bit differently. But just to keep going the way he was going, was it was just, it's, it still dumbfounds me. One thing I thought about watching Ferguson play was that, okay, look, if we ignore the games against Gibraltar, because we know he's better than, than Gibraltar, but in the games where, against Greece, against the Dutch, against France. When he was in the opposition penalty box, he was isolated. And then when he came deep to receive the ball, it was a waste of his talents because there was no one in the box to finish whatever good play had had come from it. And look, I hope the, the next manager gets the best out of him at, uh, at senior level. Um, the next game is Gibraltar away. I mean, is there anything even worth saying about that other than it happened? Gibraltar away definitely happened. It definitely it was again. Twenty two men. Actually, do you know what? Gibraltar away. A load of lads had a really nice sun holiday. Yeah. And at the end of it, twenty two lads turned up and kicked the ball around. Yeah. There is a team that you want to play in international football uh, after uh, chasing home defeat. Gibraltar are probably one of them. Lovely time um, of year as well. Still getting the end of that winter sun. In October, Ireland went to Faro uh, in Portugal to play Gibraltar. Uh, I think possibly that's the the lesson that Stephen Kenny had learned from the home game against Gibraltar was that just start Mike, Mikey Johnson. And uh, he dutifully scored uh, the second goal after Evan Ferguson had opened the scoring. Two more goals followed in the second half. Uh, Matt Darty's goal is probably best remembered for Jamie McGrath's unorthodox assists, shall we say, followed by uh, Callum Robinson with a header from close range, uh, also assisted by McGrath. And uh, that's all there really is to say about that game. It happened, Ireland won. We don't want to go too deep into it, but then you have McGrath coming back into the fold all of a sudden. This is another thing. It's like, where had McGrath been for that? Like, you know, all of a sudden McGrath is back in. This is Hail Mary stage, I think. You know, let's try something different, but we're going to keep the same tactics. So bring in different personnel. Although McGrath, like McGrath always had a good record with us. He always performed. He played both games against Portugal, if I remember. He was really good. Like, that was just one of the, and Sykes, of course. So that was just one of the stranger, stranger observations from that game. So we moved on to the, Final game of the qualifiers away to the to the Dutch. We already knew we were out of the running at this stage. Not only were we not going to qualify, we weren't going to finish in the top three. And realistically, the best we could hope for on that night in Amsterdam was to accept the role of party spoilers and deny the Dutch their qualification for at least another few days until they played Gibraltar in their final game. And that lasted all of 11 minutes until Veghorst showed the kind of ability that we hadn't seen from him in his year at, at Old Trafford, showing remarkable close control, you know, assisted by an unfortunate collision between two Irish players. But uh, when you give any player half the length of the pitch to run into, 
you know, the chances are that he's going to hit the target. And uh, he managed to convert past Gambazunu on his, on his near post. We had one shot on target in that game. It came in the opening few minutes and we failed to create a, a, a goal scoring opportunity for the 80 plus minutes that followed it. Gavin Bazunu stopped that game from being an absolute rout. Oh yeah. He had, a, he had a great performance. He was busy all night. Yeah, we were the uninvited guests at that party. The Dutch qualified at the end, they celebrated and we stood there and looked at each other. The manager's time in charge was definitely over at this stage. It was just a matter of when the hammer was going to fall. Again, when the history of Irish football is written, this game probably won't be remembered other than the results. And so finally, we came to the last game of the year, a friendly at home against New Zealand. It had already been announced that this would be James McLean's final game for the Republic. The winger was retiring after having made more than 100 appearances for his country. Uh, I was privileged to have been at his first game uh, against the Czech Republic in 2012 and I was well I was in the stadium for his last game against New Zealand the attendance was given as 26,000 but I would say if it had been announced as 5,000 less than that it would probably have been a bit more believable Adam Ida scored his uh, his third game for Ireland all of which have come this year and uh, New Zealand equalised in the second half with Another stereotypical goal conceded by Stephen Kenny team, a long range shot from uh, outside the area coming from the on the, the right side of coming on the right side of defence. As well as James McLean's final game for the Republic, this game will be remembered possibly slightly controversially for being Andrew Warren's first game for at senior level for his country. The under twenty ones had two vital qualifiers in the same international window. And Andrew Warren was initially named in that squad but was promoted to the, the seniors, whereas a lot of people, myself included, felt that he would have uh, he would have been better off playing two competitive games for the under twenty ones instead of uh, you know what basically amounted to a, a warm up session against New Zealand. Marcus, was there anything to say about that final game against New Zealand? Yeah, I, I think the only thing positive you could say is recognition to James McLean. And he's outstanding service to the country, you know, really fully committed. Uh, he's 100 plus caps. I mean, superb servant. But I mean, guys, this was a testimonial, like to have Andrew Moran playing in this international friendly, even though, you know, you could say maybe it's another progressive move. How many players has Stephen Kenny brought in through the grassroots up under 21s in? The tail of the tape for the under 21s will be that they got beaten by Norway. Andrew against Italy and that come the end of the qualification campaign could be two very significant results to not qualifying so and I think Andrew Moran would have made a massive difference to that Republic of Ireland under 21 squad I think there would have been ways to integrate him into the squad with the new manager coming in friendlies will be announced I think this is the wrong move really but I think let's be quite brutally honest about this New Zealand should have won this game given the amount of chances that they definitely created in that second half only for the likes of Mark Travers, there was some heroic defending from Ireland as well. We were completely second best. But I think you could see here the confidence of the players was true to the floor at this stage. No one really prepared, particularly in the middle third, to really pick a pass here and really kind of uh, find our, our front men with any any accuracy, really. I, I think, to be fair, that if we're going to say it, the 20,000, it was 26 officially. But I think, to be brutally honest here, Joe, I think 
just the final whistle was just very underwhelming, wasn't it? It's was just, but it will be remembered for the James McLean, you know, send off really. And I'm very disappointed for James McLean that there should have been more supporters coming out to support him and wish him farewell than 26,000. It was just, for a guy that's committed so much, this should have been a 40, 45,000 um, attendance here to really appreciate a guy who's given so much to the jersey. So, look, performance on the pitch wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, and again, we'll just look forward, hopefully, with a bit more optimism. Mark is right. Uh, New Zealand should have won the game. They had that player saying he was very good, very good. They just grew into the game and they battled us all the second half, really, to be honest with you. You'd have to say all credit to Stephen Kenny because his commitment to the bit right to the very end was nothing but hilarious, scoring, letting the team back in. And correct me if I'm wrong, they were duo tickets as well, and the attendance was 41,000 at the Dutch game. So over 20-odd thousand decided, I'm not going, even though I've paid. When have you ever seen that at a football match? That must be like, when have you ever seen over 20,000 people pay for a football ticket and not go? That's absolutely insane. Like, that's incredible. That's how bad it was at the end. Over 20,000 people paid for a ticket and did not go. It's incredible. I didn't go. I stayed at home and I backed uh, the draw with both teams to score. Thank God for Mark Travers at the end making that big save. (laughs) It wasn't too long after the New Zealand game where... It was finally announced that Stephen Kenny's contract was not going to be extended, and as we record, his replacement uh, still hasn't been announced. We anticipate it will come early in the new year. We're we're planning a, a retrospective of his time in charge in January, so look out for that. You know, even if you're looking back over the last twelve months, what I take from it is, I think the introduction of Mikey Johnson is a positive, bringing our Evan Ferguson into the, the senior team is good, but I, I don't think, I wouldn't praise Stephen Kenny for that. That's doing the obvious, really. Oh, we have this young, prodigious talent scoring regularly at the highest level in English football. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a no-brainer. I'd actually praise him more for bringing Johnston in into the team than Ferguson. I like the look of scales in defence, um, but I think like almost... An, you know, Ogbeni has uh, has stepped up to Premier League football uh, without seemingly missing uh, a beat. Um, but like everything else, is just it's it's kind of hard to feel positive about it. I think you know, whoever the next manager is, there's a good core group of players there, and Stephen Kenny had some progressive ideas about how the Ireland team should play football. But it was his failure to adapt so many times to changes or to unexpected plays by the opposition is what finally cost Ireland results and ultimately him his job. Uh, Mark, do you want to come in with any, I don't want to say highlights, but maybe something outstanding from the the last 12 months of uh, the main senior team? To be fair, guys, in terms of Stephen Kenny, he's given his heart and soul to the job. Hasn't worked out, you know, in terms of his vision, the roadmap is exemplary. And I think whoever takes on this job needs to at some point appreciate and acknowledge what Stephen Kenny has had to do here. I feel he's set a good foundation. You have a 
a young squad here, a predominantly young squad who are going to kind of uh, hopefully grow a little bit more. I would hope more leadership within their performances on the pitch here. But I think, uh, to be fair to Stephen Kenny, left no stone unturned, but just hasn't worked out positives, I would say would be from, let's say, a young player group perspective. I think we saw Gavin Bissunu again continue to excel a little bit too <laughs> frequent for my liking. But I think, to be fair to Gavin Bissunu, he's had a, um, an exceptional, probably international year, I would think. And again, the likes of Evan Ferguson being fast-tracked, but again, it's, he can only do so much. I think the new manager coming in will definitely uh, improve things in terms of the style of play and really try to utilise Evan Ferguson more efficiently than what we have been seeing. I suppose negatives-wise, guys, I think we've touched upon it. Uh, don't have another hour, Mark. Sorry. I know, we, we certainly don't, but I, I think <laughs> they're quite uh, they're there for all to see. But it will be intriguing just to see that there is an emergence of talent coming into this squad, even in the under-21s. I'm thinking of Killian Phillips here, Andrew Warren we've kind of talked about. So there is going to be guys here, and hopefully there is going to be healthy competition. But the one negative I would say here is for the international management team to reconsider playing guys who are playing regular first-team football and not really steeping it on reputation. I think that happened far too much in the Stephen Kenny era on certain players. He swung the hat in terms of reputation more so than actual game minutes. Uh, I think to a certain extent that kind of backfired on him a little bit. So I think the new manager will definitely have to play on form rather than reputation. Is that not something that uh, has affected the last two or three Ireland managers as well, that form players were ignored and maybe management favourites were given a chance maybe that they didn't deserve at the time? Like to a certain extent, but I think there was one or two players here that were basically in a note of form quite a bit with their clubs and they were trusting to international action. Like, I think Matt Doherty's kind of an easy case of study of that. He's the poor Atletico Madrid experience was just horrendous. It's great to see him back, but I think for him, you know, it left him in an awful situation in terms of playing to that international level of football is a massive demands. And if you're not playing regular first team football, I think it was. A miracle for Matt Doherty. I think it's his footballing ability that got him through that. But I think from that perspective, you know, like Jason Malumbi was in and out of the team as well. But still, there, there was guys of that magnitude here that unfortunately um, may not have been playing in, in form here. And maybe that was just Stephen Kenny and the backroom staff's mantra is that they had a nucleus of players that they committed to two, three years ago and they kept faith with them. But I, I think certain players delivered, but then other players I think did not. So... Yeah, it's a fair point, but I think there was one or two kind of probably glaring kind of inclusions here when maybe other options needed to be evaluated. I think Andrew Omabadele in that final game against New Zealand would very much fall into that uh, category. Uh, You know, he's still to make his uh, first appearance for Nottingham Forest uh, after moving from Norwich in August and yet gets uh, a start three months later uh, in a senior international game it was a hard one to understand that's a strange move for an awful lot of reasons given where Nottingham Forest are in the league you know defensively they've looked all at sea was this a mandated managerial transfer it doesn't look to me that the manager and the player um, are on the same wavelength it's it's a very strange decision isn't it that one particularly because Andrew has, has the potential we've seen it with Norwich City particularly, 
and hopefully he, January becomes that opportunity for him to get away from Forest and get some regular first team football because he needs it. I wonder was it something to do? I haven't looked at the makeup of Forest squad, but I wonder was there a touch of homegrown quotas or or something along those lines to do with that? Maybe. I don't remember if I said it on the start on the, the podcast now, but there was a ridiculous stats that Forest had signed 19 players over the summer, but they played 70 minutes of football for the senior team by the end of November. Yeah, it could be a case of maybe he's a homegrown. He's maybe that he he is classed as a homegrown player or something, and they needed someone. Maybe he looked like a good investment because they paid what seven or eight million for him. He's young. There might be something along. I'm just thinking that along the lines of Jude Bellingham traveling on an Irish passport kind of thing. Could be something something like that. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Phil, do you want to do you want to finish with your notables from the year? Yeah. So. The disclaimer always is, we all wanted Stephen Kenny to do well. Everybody. We all wanted him to turn it around. But when you're looking back and you're analysing, you can only call it the way it is. And unfortunately, it just makes grim reading. The numbers that stand out for me are, they played 10 games. The only clean sheets they kept were against Gibraltar. You know, there was a friendly against New Zealand at home and Lafayette at home. No clean sheets. You know, they played six games in the qualifying that weren't Gibraltar, they scored two goals, which isn't enough. If you were to ask anyone what the standout moment of the qualifying campaign was, a lot of people would say the chance at the end of the France game, but that itself is a testament to how poor we were. There's no bitch you can look back on and say, well, you know, that was a great goal and we thought we might have turned a corner. There was no no potential of that happening. There was no inkling of that happening. We just kept rattling along the way we were. Like, obviously, it was great to see more of Ferguson, of Bene coming back into the team, playing well. Mikey Johnson, I'm still not convinced about Mikey Johnson, to be honest with you, at the top level. I still think, I think I said it after the New Zealand game or one of the games, you know, he's, I'm not going to call him a one-trick pony, but he, he does the same thing every time. And I think if you put him up against a top-level defender, He's he's going to be limited, and I think that's why you haven't seen a lot of him for Celtic this season. So I, for me, jury's still out. If you told me Mikey Johnson doesn't get ten caps in the next three years for Ireland, it wouldn't surprise me. As mad as that sounds, it's just an inkling I have. It was a tough year for the senior team, and I'd say there's there's a lot of relieved faces in that squad that Stephen Kenny is gone, and it's just a question of who they get in now. So no particular. Highlight. I mentioned it when we were talking about the France game. I thought the atmosphere was unbelievable for the France game. It reminded me actually of like the Estonia and the Bosnia playoff games. You know, it was that heated because it was there was such a crowd and the last twenty minutes everyone was really because there was a small chance we were going to equalise. So that like the highlight for me was probably being there for that. That was it. Yeah, we move on. Next year is going to be exciting, no matter what way we look at it. I personally think the squad is in. In good health. I think the bar is so low now for what we expect. I think the general opinion seems to still be we don't have the players, but I actually think we do, if used correctly, have a good spine. What we're lacking is we're lacking a midfield and something's going to have to give there. The next manager is going to have to sort it out. But I think, you know, if you look at it, Benny, Scales, Collins, O'Shea, Bazunu is playing well now at Southampton. They're flying up the table. Ferguson should kick on. There's enough there to get us excited for the Nations League.
we hope you've enjoyed. Well, I don't know if enjoyed is the right term, but I uh, hope you've at least appreciated uh, our look back at the last 12 months for the Ireland men's team. It ended, I think, how we expected it to end, with Stephen Kenny not in charge. Um, and we wait to see who does get appointed, possibly in the new year. It's a long wait now until our next competitive game, which will come in September when the Nations League kicks off. And uh, I want to thank Mark and Phil for joining me in this episode. We're going to complete our look back at the last 12 months in Irish football with the women's team's performance in the World Cup in Australia, as well as their uh, Nations League campaign. And also look at uh, how the under-17s performed in the European Championship. Uh, You can follow Mark online at Hawkeye Sidekick. You can follow Phil at, at Phil Flanagan. And you can follow myself at Irish underscore abroad. We hope you have a happy and safe Christmas. And we look forward to talking about Irish football in 2024. Take care. Bye.